Hi, I'm Dr. Michael Wesley, Senior Pastor of Greater Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. Our mission is to reach, teach, and baptize throughout the world, beginning in our community, fulfilling the Great Commission by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit until Jesus returns. That simply means we're here to reach irreligious people and turn them into lifelong devoted followers of Jesus, equip them for a place of service in the church, and send them out on a mission for Christ in the world. We're glad you're with us today. I command blessings on you and your family today. month of repentance, forgiveness, um, uh, kind of aligns with what the young man was speaking of earlier as he was talking about the answer to stress. I want to look at it a different way. But first, let me uh, ask you to turn to the 51st number of the psalm, Psalm 51. And we'll look at the first 10 verses with the Semitic spotlight being on verse 10. Here the word of God says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin." For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part. Thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice hide thy face from my sin and blot out all my iniquities and here's the text create in me a clean heart O God and renew a right spirit within me this is the word of God for the people of God I want to preach this morning from the subject, the challenge of forgiving ourselves. The challenge of forgiving ourselves. There has been a rash of suicides in our community lately. 
even among our children. And it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. And while I don't want to put a particular family on Front Street, I will say that we did host a service yesterday of a 13-year-old boy who took his life. And, and it makes me think, it makes me wonder, what is it that causes people to feel so low that they think there is no way out. And I, I, I perused a, a, a lot of things that are typical. And the list can be quite exhaustive. But it all comes down to a summarization of feeling unforgiven. And I want you to know that all of us can mess up. All of us will mess up. All of us have messed up. But that's why they put erasers on pencils. That's, that's, that's why in the old days they put uh, erase on typewriters and liquid paper. Link ink, and now they have delete on computers because we mess up. But our mess ups doesn't have to be permanent. They don't, they don't, they don't have to be the end of it all. There is no situation that is too big for God. There is no problem, no sin that he can't forgive. I wonder today about you. Have you ever carried the weight of a sin around in your heart? And, and, and have thought to yourself that you know that God can forgive, but has he forgiven you? Have, have you ever hurt somebody so bad and you felt sorry for what you had done and you wondered if they would forgive you? Has anyone ever hurt you so bad that you wanted to forgive them but you thought to yourself, I can't do that. If they do it again, then shame on them. But the truth is we all carry these kinds of things. But to experience forgiveness, full forgiveness, we, we really must experience forgiveness. And we must experience forgiveness on three levels. 
And, and the first of these three levels is we, we must experience God's forgiveness. you got to know that God forgives you. And you've got to feel forgiven. You, re, you really do. You, you've got to experience that. If you're ever going to forgive, the third level. That's the first level is experiencing God's forgiveness. Then the second level is that you have got to forgive other people. You've got to be able to release people. You cannot walk around with a grudge heavily on your heart and with a desire to do somebody else in all the time, even though they might have done you wrong, even though they might have done something that you feel they should not be forgiven for. But you got to remember, you've been forgiven. And in order for you to continue to be forgiven, you've got to release somebody else. But that is the third level. And the third level is forgiving yourself. Now, you know, you know what I know? You know what I know? What I know is it's, it's okay to experience God's forgiveness. We can say, yeah, God, thank you for that. I need that. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. And, 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 and we can think about and, and really seriously contemplate on forgiving someone else. But it becomes a horse of another color when we talk about forgiving ourselves. We are harder on us than anyone can ever be. No one can do you like you do you. And no one can ride you as deeply as you ride yourself. And when it comes to the thought of forgiving self, something gets twisted in our thinking. And it causes us to get messed up. Anybody can, can mess up. I enumerate that. And that's what the text is all about. The one person that's listed in this text that wrote the text is David. And David was king. He wasn't always a king. He was a shepherd boy at one point, but... You know, he went into the palace and he started hanging around there and, and, and got noticed. And the Lord's work was at hand and he was positioning him, so he put him there. David and Jonathan became bosom buddies, best of friends. And Saul got jealous because he knew that, that Jonathan, his son, wasn't next in line. Although he was biologically in line, he could tell the spiritual handwriting was on David. And Saul tried to eliminate David. And because he wasn't able to successfully eliminate David as a young boy, he pursued him almost to the day he died. Probably 15, 16 years he chased David Everywhere he went. But when David did become king, and Saul was off the scene, and David was the man, and he had everything that he wanted. And the time came when the kings normally go to war. And instead of David going to war with the rest of the kings in the spring of the year, he stayed home in the palace. And one morning he was 
standing out on his balcony and he was stretching. And he had roving eyes and he looked over and he saw a young tenderoni. A young beautiful girl, her name was Bathsheba. And he inquired about her, who is she? And they told him and, and, and he sent for her. And being the king, she could not refuse. And she came, and David went in unto her. And he sent her back home. He thought everything was done. He was good. Satisfied himself. But the girl ended up pregnant. And she sent David a message that she was pregnant. So David decided, well, let me fix this. Can't let this be on my record. So he sent into the battlefields where his soldiers were, and her husband was there. His name was Uriah. And he called for Uriah to come home, come home for a weekend. The king has declared you off duty. You got a furlough. Come on in. Go home. Spending the weekend with your wife. But Uriah was a committed soldier, and he wouldn't go home. David, David, David said, wait, wait, come to my palace for a little while. Let's have a, a, a few glasses of wine. And David got Uriah drunk, said, now go home. Be with your wife. Uriah wouldn't go. He said to David a few days later, I guess I better return to the battle where the rest of the soldiers are. How can I go home and sleep with my wife when all the Israel soldiers are out fighting the Lord's battle? Well, you can almost hear David cuss. Now, I know y'all religious in here, but you can hear it. Use your sanctified imagination. And, and, and David said, all right, he, he don't want to cooperate, then I'll, I'll fix this. So he... he, he he, he calls, writes a letter to Joab, the captain of his army. And he says, I want you to put Uriah on the front line. I want you to observe the enemy's soldiers and see where the strongest soldiers are. And put Uriah right in the battle where he is bound to be killed. And then David took his king's ring and he sealed the ring with his signature making it official. Uriah was called, put in the heat of the battle. And of course, Uriah fell to the enemy's assault. Then Joab sends a letter back to David. Mission is accomplished. No one knew but those two men what really had transpired. David thought he had gotten away. Thought he had gotten by. He moved around for a little while and waited after the funeral and the wake and everything was over. Then he called Bathsheba into his house and made her his wife. And then he had a visit one day from one of his friends who happened to be a prophet of the Lord, whose name was Nathan. And Nathan came in and said, uh, Oh, David, said, let me let me tell you about a little story that I heard of a situation and see if I can get you to render an opinion about what you think. And, and Nathan began to tell a story. That was, that was a man who had one little ewe lamb 
And another man who had lots of cattle, had everything that he wanted, but he had a visitor to come in, and, and the man who had all of the cattle chose not to bother any of what he had at his disposal. But he sent and fetched the one little ewe lamb from the man and had the man's lamb kill and serve to his guests. Uh, Nathan said, what do you think ought to happen to that man, David? And David got angry. Rightly so. He said, that man ought to die. That man ought to be killed. And Uriah, should I say, and Nathan the prophet turned and he held up a mirror and put it in David's face. And he said, David, you are that man. A knife was plunged through his heart. He knew that he could not hide anymore because he understood that God had seen and understood what he had done. Now, what I like about David, what I like about David is rather than trying to continue the process of covering it up, he goes to the house of the Lord and he prays. And that's the subject of what's in the text, his prayer. He cries, have mercy on me. Oh God, according to your loving kindness and your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. He, he, he's crying out to God. He, he, he doesn't cover up anymore. He recognizes that he needs to feel the experience of God's forgiveness. And he goes through it. He said, wash me with his. Clean me and I shall be clean. Anybody ever cried out like that? I mean, if you, if you, if you really, we're talking about forgiveness and that's what love month is, man. Because when you're in love, you're going to hurt somebody and somebody's going to hurt you. And you got to learn to forgive. And if you're in any kind of relationship, you got to learn to forgive and forgive often. Can't just say, I forgave you one time and that's it. You're not going to be in it very long. I'm telling you, sometimes you have to forgive five, ten times in a day. Hello, somebody. Now, you might not want to hear it, but I'm going to tell it. And, and, and David cries out unto God. And, and when he gets in, 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 into this tenth verse where the text is, he, he says something that gripped me. He said, create in me a clean heart. He, he said, do, do something that, that's, that's different. Use your, your power as God. See, only God can create. And, and he says, so create in me a, a, a new thing, a, a clean heart. And, and, and renew, cause a right attitude, a right mindset to rise up from the inside. Renew a right spirit in me now. What I want to help you understand is that cry right there is not only the cry of a man who is experiencing God, experiencing the forgiveness of God, and experiencing the forgiveness of, of someone else. He knew that it wasn't nothing Uriah could do. Uriah couldn't forgive him. The guy was gone to glory. But he knew 
that he needed to forgive himself because he knew that he had done something that was wrong that he thought that he had gotten away with. So, so let, me, let, me, let me ask some questions and give some answers. And this is where the teaching gets interesting. So why can't we forgive ourselves when we know that we've done wrong? Now, ain't no, ain't no need. Don't, don't, don't look up here. Ain't no need of acting like you ain't done nothing. See, that, that, that is not the issue. You know, God, God is the record keeper. I'm not the record keeper. And, and he knows all things, you know, whether it be good or bad. And, and so I want to give you some reasons that I think people have a hard time for, forgiving ourselves. And I think the first reason is because we have a difficult understanding and accepting God's forgiveness of our sin. You know, see, we, we base our actions, we want to put God in the same boat as us. We want God to behave like we behave. And we know that, that some of the stuff we have done, ain't no way we forgive me. That's how we feel. Uh, I, I, I had a brother, got six of them. One went to glory. And, and in a conversation with one that went to glory years ago, I was talking to him about this issue of forgiveness and salvation. I was early in preaching and all, and we'd have those conversations. And he said to me one day, he said, how can God forgive me? He said, you got to know, Mike, I was an 18-year-old boy sent across the waters to Vietnam as a soldier in the United States Army. And, 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 and Vietnam was hot in those days. And he said, and I was instructed to do some things that I'm not proud of. We'd have to walk through villages and sometimes children, he said, because they would take cocktails and say, hey, G.I., and you look at them and you smile and they throw it and blow you up. And he said, and there were times when we had to cut, down, cut them down. And, and he said, how can God forgive me? I said, that's because you don't know the forgiveness of God. God sent Jesus into the world long before you and I was even thought of. More than 2,000 years ago. And he sent him to go to Calvary's cross to die as a ransom for sin. And that death was payment for sin past all the way from the first man, Adam, who never saw Jesus. Jesus paid for every sin that any man had created, committed up to the time he showed up. But that wasn't all that that sin paid for. It paid for sins present, and it's paid for sins even in the future. Folk who haven't even been born yet have already been forgiven, and they don't even know it. Because that's God's love for his humankind. And, and so God forgives, 
And he's already forgiven you. You just don't realize that he's forgiven you. And sometimes we think, just like I was thinking about the little boy, man, that took his life. He just thought that there's no way out. And many people feel like they have no way out. And it's because we don't know the forgiveness of God. There's nothing you can do. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care how long you've been doing it. I don't care how long ago it was since you did it. You got to understand the forgiving power of God in order to receive the ability to forgive yourself. That's the first thing I want you to understand. The second thing I want you to understand today is that we don't, we don't always experience forgiveness of ourselves. Uh, it's because we, we have difficult dealing with self-disappointment. See, we, we all got a standard that we try to live up to, whether it's real or whether it's make-believe. We got a standard. We got a, a, a standard for our life, an element of living that we feel that we should live on, a plane that we should live on. And sometimes when we do something, we disappoint ourselves, and we end up in self-talk like, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. I didn't know that lived in me. And, and we have a hard time reconciling the standard that we have with the disappointment that we experience. Have anybody in here ever said, I can't believe I said that? Man, you know, I used to be a school principal, man. I'd bring kids to the office sometimes. Man, why are you in here? But she made me cuss her. I said, no, she didn't make you do that. You did that on your own. You told yourself that if she say one more thing to me, I'm going to cuss her out. And so the cussing was set up right then when you told yourself. And so when you said she said something, the cussing came automatically. <laughs> now don't pretend now. We're in church, right? Have you have you ever have you ever did something that you didn't believe was in you? You have you ever come up with something that you thought that you were a little disappointed with because you felt like, wait a minute, that ain't that, that ain't who I am. I'm a better man than that. More better later than that. I got more class than that. Got more dignity than that. But that's one of the reasons why we find it so hard to forgive self. It's because we've set ourselves up with this make-believe standard. Of self-righteousness. But David didn't have that problem. David said, I was born in sin. I was shaped in iniquity. In my inward part, God, you knew who I was. You knew what was in me. You knew what I was capable of, even if I didn't understand what I was capable of. And if you don't have mercy on me, who's going to have mercy on me? Are you following me? I'm trying to help you see reasons why we find it hard to forgive ourselves. 
Uh, third reason I think that we find it difficult to forgive ourselves is, is because of, of the consequences that the wrong that we have done has had on somebody else's life. Man, you can see people sometimes years later that you messed up. They ain't the same. You know, I ain't going to mess with the ladies in here, this man thing, but I'm going to tell some of the ladies, you know you broke that boy's heart when he was a young boy, and he ain't been right since. <laughs> you know, you, you told him no, you sent him kicking rocks, you did all kinds of things, and, and he ain't been the same. He ain't been able to get himself together. He was crazy about you. He was google eye, and you broke his heart. But then some of the boys, you know you've done some wicked things too now. You, you've, you've hurt some people, and as a result of what has happened to people, you find it hard to forgive yourself. You mean I did that? You mean I went that far that I caused that level of pain or that kind of trauma in that person's life? I didn't intend to do it like that, but that is the result of it. And that sometimes can cause us not to be able to forgive myself. That's the fourth reason. And it's because we suffer within ourselves because of the wrong of our doing. I mean, I mean, years ago, I mean, we have we have these, we have these flashbacks, these, these pictures that just keep coming up. Years ago, when you were a kid, years ago when you were, wasn't thinking, when you wasn't wise enough, and it comes back to your mind, and, and the devil takes that, and he works on you and says, see, I thought you were saved. I thought you were a Christian. If you were a Christian, you wouldn't have acted like that. Why you be behave like that? And, and he wants to keep you locked down. I say all the time, the devil wants to be an instigator to get you in trouble and a pallbearer to take you out. So sometimes our own wrongdoing and the feelings we have about it will cause us not to release ourselves for forgiveness. Man, this, this need to be on worldwide television, and it will be. And so, because people need to understand what I'm telling you today. This, 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 this is where, this is what's tearing up people, is internal guilt. And because people haven't been able to release themselves, consequently, they're willing to do further. Let me tell you something. Number five. A person, and this is what I think is the most dangerous part of it. There's some people who get comfortable with living with their stuff. And, and, and they become hardened by it. And they become, they become to the point that they say, well, it's just the way I am. And, and okay, and, and since you think I'm like that, let me show you. And they go another step further and they do other things to prove that they should not be forgiven. See, God, I told you I wasn't worth it. You know, it shows up in their prayers. Why you want to save me? Why you want to forgive me? I'm no good. Look what I just did. 
Look what I just thought. Look what I just been through again. And so when that kind of stuff happens, what we learn to do is, is to carry this excessive baggage. And we carry it around all day. We carry it around in our life. And consequently, it drags us down until we are depressed and feel disappointed so much so. And we say to ourselves, we convince ourselves, how can I be forgiven when I live like this? So I want to ask the second question, not just why we can't forgive ourselves, but what happens in a person's life when they cannot forgive themselves? What happens? I want you, I'm going to give you seven things I want you to write down. These are seven questions that I think are very important for you to know uh, because this is what people need to ask themselves if they really want to break out of this struggle. And that's why I titled this sermon The, the, the Consequences of Forgiving Self, The Challenges of Forgiving Yourself. It is a challenge. What happens to people? When they cannot forgive themselves, one, they continually punish themselves in a way, in one way or another. People beat themselves up. People do it. Man, I, I, I think about loved ones, I think about relatives, I think about friends, I think about people, past and present, that I know can't hardly get through to them. Because they constantly find ways to beat themselves up and to punish themselves, condemn themselves, constantly attracting around themselves bad relationships. You ever known girlfriends like that? You try to help her get out of one situation and she turn around and get right back in the same kind of situation. Seem to date the same kind of guys. And you say, girl, you ain't learned yet. But he likes me. <laughs> yeah, but he's going to kill you too. <laughs> you ain't careful. Okay. Second thing people do is people, they live with a cloud of uncertainty about themselves. Always this dark cloud that's hanging over the head. And as a result of that, you know what they do? They develop low self-esteem. When you, when you live, man, and you, 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 you got this constant cloud of gloom around you. And no matter where you go, it's still there. You know, at least if you're driving on the road and it's physically raining, if you drive long enough, you hope that you'll run out of it. But when you're living under this cloud of Depression and self-hatred. You can't seem to get away from it. And the physical effects that it takes on life. People constantly have headaches, constantly have stomach aches. You know, you, know, you heard people say, you make me sick. That's literally the truth. People can give you a pain 
you are painting. And literally, a physical pain will show up. It will feel like that. That's what happens when people can't forgive themselves. So, so what do we do? I want to give you these questions again that people should ask if they want to get out. First, why should I continue to condemn myself? When God doesn't, that's where you need to start. That's what I think people need to ask themselves. Why do I need to continue to beat me up and to crush myself when that's not how God looks at me? That's not what God does. God reaches out. God says, I love you. I've forgiven you. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Second question people need to ask themselves, or you may need to ask yourself, is my self-condemnation drawing me into a closer, intimate relationship with God? What, what, what am I gaining from this? Am I beating me up? Am I cussing me? Am I putting me down? Is that making God love me more? Is that driving him away? Am I drawing closer to God with doing this? You know the obvious answer is no. Third question. What good am I doing by continually condemning myself? What, what good am I doing to other people? You know what happens, don't you? You continue to put yourself down, and every time you go around other people, they start shying away from you. Because people don't want to be around that all the time. You know, it's what I call ain't it awful people. You know ain't it awful people. Everything, ain't it awful Ain't it awful? Ain't it awful? And then after a while, you say, yes, it is awful. Let me move. Because I got enough stuff on my own. And I don't need to carry that. What good am I continually gaining by condemning myself in the kingdom of God? Am I advancing the kingdom by showing what an example I could be or what? is not of God? Is that what glorifies him? The answer obviously is no. Let me ask this. Is my unwillingness to forgive myself helping my situation? Is it going to change me? You know, you know what? If misery loves company, and, it, and if I'm always down, is that going to change me? Is that going to get me up out of this? This is what that boy was talking about this morning. This stress. You got to be able to bring it to God in prayer. Things like that. And I'll talk about that in just a minute. But here's my self-condemnation influencing God. Do I convince God? Can I persuade him that I'm no good? Do you know God made you? You didn't make yourself. And I don't care what you have done, how bad you might think you are. God saw some good in you. 
God put some good in you because a part of him lives in you. And every one of us have the capacity to respond to God. He built us with a room that only he can live in. And even though we try to fill that room with other things and with other people, nothing satisfies the place that God has created for himself to live in. Let me give you another one. Is there any scriptural basis for condemning myself? Is there anywhere in the Bible that says, I ought to beat myself up? No, the Bible just says what? Confess your sins. Acknowledge it. In all that way, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. So there's no scriptural basis. Last question. I'm going to let you out in a minute. How long do I intend to live like this? How long do I intend to live self-condemned, unwilling to forgive me? How long? I mean, at some point, you got to say enough is enough. At some point, you got to say, I've had enough. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of being down. I'm tired of crying. Listen, there's only so many tears you're supposed to shed for any one hurt. Man, I remember I was 12 years old. I got a bad whipping, man. really did. Dad told my hips up. My brother went through all the community and got all my friends, stacked them up on the front porch. Ooh, Mike gonna get a whipping. I ain't get too many, but they knew I was gonna get one that day. And boy, all, everybody was gathered on the front porch. And my daddy came and he, he told me what the charge was. I already knew what it was. <laughs> and I was praying that it wasn't gonna be so, but it was. So he told me, he said, go in there and um, finish eating your dinner. When you get through eating your dinner, go in there and get out of my clothes. Because I'm not going to whip my clothes. <laughs> Man, I hollered and I cried and I squalled and I did everything. Dad, you don't love me. <laughs> You're trying to kill me. <laughs> and, and he said, I'd rather get you than to let the police get you. And, and he was serious, man, but he brought it on, and I, I cried. Listen, that's been over 60-plus years ago, and, and I don't cry no more, but I never forgot it. And that's what I'm trying to help you understand. At some point, you're going to have to stop crying. At some point, you're going to have to decide no more of this, that it's enough. So what can you do? I'm going to give you three quick steps. And I'm going to leave you alone. What does a person who has not forgiven themselves need to do to forgive themselves? The first thing is an honest confession. Now, when I say an honest confession, I mean you got to be specific. You can't just say, Lord, forgive me uh, for what I've done. No, you need to be specific. Tell God the truth. Forgive me specifically of the hurt that I caused such and such, when I did it, what I did, and all that. 
Get it out and open. Put it out there. This is you and God. He already knows it. You need to confess it honestly and openly. The second thing you need to do is reaffirm your faith in God's promise that he will forgive your sin. You just need to just simply say, God, I thank you that you are a forgiving God, that you have promised that you would forgive me of my sin, and I accept your forgiveness. And do you know that that's the hard thing for some people to do is to accept something from somebody else? Some people can't even accept an apology from someone else. Somebody can't even accept a gift and God wants to give you a gift. But you got to be willing to accept it. Then you pray with the spirit of prayer. God, on the basis of your forgiveness of me, now I release myself. I release myself of all this guilt that I've been carrying and all this stuff that I've been wearing, all this condemnation, all of this unforgiveness. Take David's example. David was a top man. He was the top man in Israel. But he wasn't so big that he couldn't go to God and lay it out. Have mercy on me. According to your loving kindness, tender mercies. Blot out my transgression. He goes on to say, I'm guilty of bloodthirstiness. And, and he goes on to say, and, and if you teach, if you forgive me, then I'll turn around and teach other people how they can be forgiven. And that's what God wants from us. And I know somebody said, oh, that sounds so simple, Pastor. Well, it is. Let me give you one more thing you ought to do. Find your favorite mirror and get in that mirror. Look at yourself in the mirror and tell yourself that you've forgiven yourself. And do like Snow White, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? And God will speak and say, You are because you have done what I have required you to do and now guess what will happen God will give you another chance not just a second chance another chance see that's what another chance is about it's, it's not it's not a, a second chance I messed up the second chance after the first chance so I need another chance and tomorrow after the day, I'll probably need another chance. And next week, I'll probably need another chance. And next month, I'll probably need another chance. And next year, I guarantee you, I'll need another chance. So don't try to put a limit on God. Just ask him to wash you and cleanse you and to give you another chance. This time we're going to open the doors of the church and give you an opportunity to make good on your faith and unite fellowship with this church if it is so your desire.
give your heart to God. You can give your hand to one of these, my brothers. And God will give you another chance. Can you say, I'm sorry? And that's what it is. I'm sorry. Listen at it. Please forgive, forgive me. me. That's how you talk. Clean me up.
This is Dr. Michael Wesley, Senior Pastor of Greater Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And I know by now you know about this new book that we have released. 
Not only have we released it, the book is here. And it's an excellent read, not just because I wrote it, but because of the content and what it conveys. It tells the story of where marriage comes from. Marriage comes from God. And I need us to know that. And if you are in love and are considering this particular path for your life, the content of this book will help you along the way. Not only do we talk about where marriage comes from, we talk about keys to compatibility, what's necessary to be effective in marriage. I have a little acronym in the book, it's called CUT, C-U-T, Communication, Understanding, Trust. That becomes the basic formula that's necessary for any marriage to be successful. Not only do we talk about those things and the keys to compatibility, we also talk about staying in love. Once you're in love, we certainly want to remain in love. And some may wonder, well, what if I married the wrong person? We even deal with that as well. So this is a great opportunity for you to make sure that you're in line with what God's will is for your life. God bless you. Please follow the prompts on the screen that you may know how to get your personal copy of this book. Friends, this is Michael Wesley, Senior Pastor of Greater Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. We really appreciate all of the love and support that you have shown to us through these broadcasts. We've been hearing from people and our friends all over, and we want you to pray about being a supporter and a prayer partner and a supporter of this television ministry. If you believe the Holy Spirit has ministered the Word of God to you and you'd like to see this ministry continue and to share it with your friends, please consider being a supporter. Follow the prompts on the screen. We would love to hear from you.